Well, welcome to the, the Black Top Pulpit by the Church at Sunsites. I am the pastor of the Church at Sunsites. Uh, my name is Andrew, and I'm here again with one of our church members, Kim Duffy. And uh, we're walking through the doctrines of grace. One of our church members requested that we do a blog series. Uh, don't have time to write a blog series on the doctrines of grace. Uh, so we are doing it in casual conversation for a podcast um, today. How do you spell, how do we spell tulip? A T, what's the next letter? U, unconditional election. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that that depends on who you talk to now. We're 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 trying to slightly modify the the acronyms. So imagine I, I, imagine what it would be. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you have yeah you have uh, of course total depravity. The T there stays the same unless you use my word essential depravity. So <laughs> and then unconditional election. I'm not aware of any other terms used for unconditional election. But like the it's limited atonement, election. like particular atonement, like that's what people are saying now. <laughs> Yeah, I almost can't use tulip anymore. Uh, but we are for the sake of for the sake of our memory and our sanity. <laughs> yeah, unconditional election. What is this thing, man? Well, just just to mention briefly, I I, I still I still like and and use the the acronyms in tulip. I, I think I think most people, um, as we you know, kind of discuss the doctrines as time goes by, more we. Um, we come up with slightly clearer mm-hmm. uh, definitions, For sure, but yeah. I think that's what's happening. So, like you, you said, with unconditional election, um, I've heard the the term sovereign sovereign election. Okay, yeah, I can see that. just to clarify what's being done there. So, man, uh, unconditional election simply just means <laughs> it means what it means. What's that? <laughs> It means what it means. It means what it means. It really does. Um, you don't have to. You don't have to meet any criteria. There's nothing you have to do um, to be elect, to be chosen by God. Mm-hmm. And it's another another hot debated topic. Yeah, it is. Um, but one that really shouldn't be because it's rich throughout all of Scripture. God's sovereignty and purposes, and um, doing what He does with whom He does is just so evident uh, throughout the scriptures. We'll but see, since, bro. Yeah. I'm going to bring up some problem verses this morning. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's the fun part, right? Yeah. No, I just think about, like, uh, you go into some evangelical church, and this is going to be, like, the difference between evangelical Christian and reformed Christian. Like, um, mm-hmm. these aren't the same thing. Um, you go into most evangelical churches, and um, the, the preacher stands up and he gives a message. And then they have this part of the worship service that they call invitation. It used to be universal. All churches used to do this, right? Have this invitation time where the preacher will plead with the people. Uh, do you need to recommit your life today? Uh, are you backslidden? Are, are you living in sin and you just need to recommit your life today? Um, please, please, please recommit your life today because your relationship with Christ depends on it. Uh, do you know Jesus? Are you going to heaven? If you're not going to heaven and you really want to go to heaven, just come on down to the front. I'll pray a prayer with you and you repeat these words after me. And if you believe, then you will get to go to heaven and you will have eternal life. Just that sort of invitation. I think that's a abysmal gospel invitation. Oh, um, yeah. and, and it just, it emphasizes on the, 
unconditional election. That's what that is. Like it's it's all conditional. God bases his decision who will enter the kingdom of heaven um, on on our choosing him. Uh, you might have heard it this way. Like God looks through the corridors of time. He sees who will choose him, who will make a confession of faith. And from before the foundation of the world, he elects those who will choose. That's conditional election. It's based yeah. on something in or of the individual person, um, particularly their development of belief or faith for themselves, which is impossible, right? Yeah, I think that last one is the most uh, most popular view to try to deal with the, the doctrine, because I think the big problem at the core is people, people don't like it. They don't like the idea of, of not having a choice. They don't like the idea of a God um, doing something like this apart from people's consent or mm. permission. It's a bigger problem here in America, it seems like, in, in most countries. Yeah. But, but yeah. Yeah. Um, I, it was interesting. I was reading the Quran one day <laughs> because I just do stuff like that. <laughs> That's good. So, so I was reading the Quran one day, and, uh, and I was looking in, in the study notes in this, in this particular Quran. And to explain election, uh, the Muslim who commentated on the Quran here, uh, an academic Muslim, if, if I understand correctly, um, and I don't remember his name. Um, if I did remember it, I wouldn't be able to pronounce it. So, <laughs> you yeah. know. Um, but he made this comment like regarding predestination. God looks down the corridors of time. Does this sound familiar? God looks down the corridors of time to see who will obey him uh, and he makes his divine election choice considering he didn't say based on he said considering um, who will obey him considering the obedience of his people from before the foundation of the world uh, which sounds a lot like what christians try to say about predestination who don't really mm -hmm. believe that god predestines people um, so just so our listeners know, like people try to explain it away in every religious group, not, not only in some Christian circles. We're not the only ones having this debate. Uh, so, no kidding. Atheists also have to deal with this, right? Is it all cause and effect or is there some kind of um, retrospective causation, something like that. I don't know. That's a debate even in atheistic communities. So understand, Christians aren't the only ones having this conversation. Sure, sure. Uh, it's always interesting to read how people with other worldviews try to explain like very biblical ideas like predestination. It's always interesting. Always interesting. Um, here's a question. Let's get it just election first. Um, is election like only momentary, only concerning groups of people or offices of people? Like God elected Abraham as the father of Israel? Um, or is mm. it soteriological in scripture? Um, or do we have to distinguish between the two? Soteriological for our listeners just means uh, it concerns salvation and it, it means salvation. So some people say that election in the Bible only deals with God's choosing groups to represent him on the earth. Uh, the, the church, the visible church would be that. Um, some people uh, imagine that 
uh, election has nothing to do with salvation whatsoever. It's only those visible structures on the earth, visible um, organizations on the earth. Uh, and some believe, and I fall into this camp, that election has everything to do with salvation. So, um, which which is it? Let's talk about this for a little bit. Or do we have to distinguish between the two? It's... Yeah, I'm actually, like like with several of our conversations, like I, I work through some of the ideas um, and I kind of challenge them in my own head, which is, is what we're doing <laughs> the opposite now, right? We're, right. we're doing it out loud. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, even even thinking through the the uh, the people of the earth, you know, like the the, the people the people God chooses um, to 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 represent Him. Um, there there's a clear um, there's a clear understanding and purpose of God's election in those people too. So 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 God chose the people of Israel. The the question comes down to, well. What were the people of Israel? You know, it was nationalistic Israel, or you know, people according to the promise. And that's where I think a, a richer theology would talk about it being mm-hmm. um, the idea of salvation. Election is ultimately God's people. Um, not and then. Then I'm thinking, well, it is individually, but at the same time, no, it, it is a group. It's it's God's chosen people. It's the people that from eternity's past He has determined and um, decided to save from. The world mm-hmm. saved from ourselves, saved from specifically from God and His wrath. Yeah. And this yeah. is this is where we there is great benefit in doing biblical theology. Um, so systematic theology, um, and just to explain these terms for our listeners, because sometimes we use terms that are just over people's heads, and, you know, oh, yeah. and it's it's good to. Um, be kind of over people's heads because we want people to grow, right? You can't grow unless you're listening to something that that you don't understand um, and try to understand that. We don't grow unless we do that. But we want to use, we want to make sure people know um, the definitions of the terms we're using. So systematic theology is when we take all of Scripture and find all the verses, all the passages in Scripture about a certain topic, say God's sovereignty or election. Put those together and try to formulate a doctrinal statement based on those things or talk about what all of Scripture says about election and expound upon that. So that's systematic theology. It's a topical sermon, right? If it's done well, it's systematic theology is what it is. Biblical theology is different. It traces the motifs in Scripture through the biblical text beginning in Genesis 1, ending in Revelation 21, right? Um and or 22 revelation 21 or 22 how many chapters does revelation have oh i think it's 22 okay yeah. Check. yeah whatever the last chapter of revelation is i i always do that and i always second guess myself it's like just be confident and people 22. will believe you it's like, <laughs> <laughs> that is 22 <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah so it's just tracing the biblical motifs and you start out Israel's not even a nation when the Bible begins. Uh, God is mm-hmm. dealing with Adam and Eve, and he gives Eve a promise, uh, Adam and Eve a promise, the promise of atonement for Eve, who is the mother of the living, and all of her seed, all of her descendants, right? And that promise does not belong to the seed of the serpent. And that's where the whole story begins. And then we get to uh, Genesis chapter 12, and Abraham is chosen from Ur of the Chaldeans. He's a son of Shem. And he's chosen from Ur of the Chaldeans. He he's an idolater, and God chooses him and brings him to the land of Canaan and says, "Hey, I'm going to give your descendants the land of 
Canaan. And that's when we learn that like Israel, the descendants of Abraham, they typify this earlier archetypal promise, right? Mm. So, so they are the picture. If we're just going to put this in plain terms, uh, the descendants of Abraham are the picture, the promise to Adam and Eve. That's the, that's the reality. That's the salvific reality, the eschatological reality. And then when we get to the New Testament, we start seeing the church referred to as Israel. And Paul uses the same language to talk about the church as he does the, the nation of Israel. And he says, uh, that, was, that was the Israel, biological Israel. The church is the Israel of God. And, and then all of a sudden we like learn that in Christ, like all Christians, we are Israel, eschatological Israel. Uh, so Israel in the Old Testament, we talk, we talk about the election of Israel and the choosing of Israel. That is a picture of God's election of his church. And so I'm not sure that we even have to distinguish between the two, like a biological um, national choosing election and the election concerning salvation and deliverance. I'm not sure we have to distinguish between those two things because one is, one is explicitly a picture of of the other right sure now now this could be one of the areas that we we do differentiate on on national israel versus um you know god's god's people and, and salvation uh and this is where i'm you know as far as what we're working through and the the idea of this being like the the the, the idea of church replacing israel is, is another hot topic right yes now, it is yes now, it is Typically, and this is more more in the dispensational you know uh, interpretation of, of then times, the the church does not replace Israel, but there's also people uh, covenant theologians who do believe, uh, like Piper, for instance, that there is something that has to be done with Israel or Jewish lineage of people uh, where they're going to have something to do with mm. the end before. Christ returns. Yeah, um, certainly. What, what implications are there there? Like that's that's another thing I'm working through as you're talking. Like what, what are the implications if if there is something um, like w- what Paul alludes to, where where um, the, the hardening and, and softening that is mm-hmm. being done in, in the, those people specifically? Yeah, they're, is he in, they're in Romans eight, like eight through ten. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah right, right around there. Um, and I'm just wondering, like, what, what would be the implication? Uh, what would it would it change? some ideas there. Um, I don't even know that. No, I'm pretty sure you're, you, you believe that Israel is, is <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> no, I like to I'm keep, I like to keep, I like to keep people over. guessing. It's a <laughs> is this one of those off limit? Top? No, there's no, nothing off limits for you. So now I'm, now I'm curious to hear what you have to say about that. Is, <laughs> is, is, is God done with Israel? No. As a nation, okay. <laughs> no, he's not. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, so yeah, that's why I use the term. That's why I don't like the terms like old and new Israel. I do not like those terms at all. Oh, okay. So I use national Israel and eschatological Israel and differentiate in that way. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, good question. Uh, good clarification to make because <laughs> some people might hear me and go, oh, he doesn't think we need to be Israel's ally. And <laughs> no, I don't. No, I don't believe that. <laughs> we did, we definitely need to be Israel's ally. <laughs> uh, uh, we we should never curse the nation God has chosen for Himself. 
sure. I, I think I think the areas where I, I take a little issue is when when people, uh, man, I don't know. Thinking out loud sometimes, I, I later want to backtrack on what I say, but I, I think the idea of, of treating um, Israel special, uh, mm-hmm. I don't like. I don't think there's. I don't think there's a doctrinal, you know, or, or right. illogical explanation for something like that. No, well, They're, that that ends up just being racism. Sure. You know. Yeah, uh, and, and, and you know, it, regardless of whatever way you toss it, you know, yes, God's sovereign, but they, ha- but He holds us all accountable for our decisions, and it. right now they reject the Messiah, um, and and we don't herald them for that. Um, they need, they, we need to call them to repentance, mm-hmm. just like we do anyone else. We we love them as a people. Um, we we acknowledge their unique position historically and biblically, mm-hmm. uh, with you know the, the working of God and salvation. Um, but today, like like all people, it is it is a matter of uh, repentance and faith, you know. And, and if you reject the Messiah, uh, you are condemned. That's um, it. You you are you are under your sin and will will be under the wrath of God. And that's the plea that we, we call people to. Um, and that's the unique thing that it seems every time we talk about election, uh, people quickly go to, well, then why do anything? You know, fatalism. Yeah. Just fatalism, like, man. Well, fatalism is, is so dangerous. <laughs> I know. And I'm like, why do we have to go there? Like, why? Why does the mind have to go? Well, then I don't have to do anything. Let's sit and have a long vacation, enjoy life, right? And yeah, I just, that's it. Just sit back. God will save who He will save. He chose yeah. us from before the foundation of the world. Ah, that is no excuse for laziness, my Christian brothers oh. and sisters. <laughs> You meet somebody who says they love Jesus and doesn't want to talk about him, and and you I tell, tell me, you, let me know. Probably <laughs> not talking to a Christian. <laughs> no, and instead, it's more like the um, the apostles in the Book of Acts. They got arrested, mm-hmm. and they were released, and they went right back to preaching the gospel, even though they had been warned not to. And upon getting arrested again, they responded to the threats by saying. We can't do anything else. Like a statement of ability. Like we can't do anything else. God's got us. He's not letting us go. We are compelled by the Spirit within us to proclaim this amazing gospel of, of grace and peace, hope. What we've been talking about the last few weeks here at the Church at Sunsides. Um, like if if we really have the Spirit, we are missionaries. Um, that's what Charles Spurgeon said. Hold on, i got to show you this. Charles Spurgeon. When I quote Charles Spurgeon, I pull this guy out. <laughs> My Spurgeon bobblehead. Oh yeah. Charles Spurgeon said, "If you claim to be a Christian, you are either a missionary or an imposter." Yeah. There wow. it is. And this is this guy right here. He was he was more of a Calvinist than Calvin. <laughs> <laughs> Holding up a, a bobblehead Spurgeon. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he was for sure. That's a, it's like the bobblehead Jesus. I don't know if I could get that out of my head now. I had so much respect for Spurgeon. Now, <laughs> now, now I see that I I have this I have this uh, the the term for like you know uh, 21st century you know evangelical Christianity. It's the bobblehead Jesus movement. You know, it's just oh it's, it's this idea of Jesus just being this buddy with his thumb up. You know, it's like hey buddy, hey how, how you doing, friend? Hey, hey, <laughs> hey loose. <laughs> Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, you think he was hanging loose on the cross? I don't think so. Ooh, mm. All right. All right. Well, let's move on. That's all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. 
Uh, all right. So, yeah, election in Scripture, um, sometimes it does refer to a, a momentary selecting of covenant community. But that's always a picture of salvation. So every time we see election in the Bible, it has to do explicitly with God's choosing of his of his spiritual people, of his eschatological people. Um, that's what election is. And he's, he, he elects groups, yes. Uh, he has elected the covenant community, the, the visible church. Mm-hmm. Um, Israel is another covenant community, right? And those are pictures of the of the eschatological reality, the spiritual reality that God has a, a people for himself that he is choosing for himself. Um, and he, he elects individuals to that. Like we read in Matthew's gospel, Jesus said concerning individuals, no one has seen the father. Only the son has seen the father because the son came from the father. No one can see the father unless individually, right? The son reveals the father to him and, the son has to choose to do that. So it is an individual thing too. So God is electing individuals for salvation to the group, eschatological Israel, the church, the true, you know, the church, spiritual church. Um, and he's electing individuals to that group. And it's one single people that he has chosen for himself, which is it's amazing to think about. Uh, all of it, it all goes together. Yeah, for sure to think of another passage um, I, I was gonna look it up but you stopped talking too quick <laughs> was, uh, <laughs> i have more to say if you want me to keep going yeah i mean you got the you got the passage about jesus being uh, plain with people but you know no one no one can come to me unless the father draws, uh, draws and, yeah uh, that's that's one of those again one of the the many areas that just how do you get around that you right. know um you you can't you are unable to to hear to believe to come unless the father does it Mm-hmm. Uh, that there, there's there's significance there. The the corridor of time argument that you you brought up that so many people, um, and I, I I'm almost certain you'd bring up this passage, but this this answers the corridor of time issue um, in Romans nine, which obviously everyone goes to when talking about you know God's election. But mm-hmm. but with Jacob and Esau, the the corridor of time argument was addressed. Um, Jacob and Esau, God chose mm-hmm. Jacob before they were born. Um, so that, 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 that his purpose of election before they can do anything right or wrong, right? So th- yeah. th- he does it before they do anything right or wrong. That answers the, the time argument or what you may or may not do or what you will choose. Uh, that, that's, those are those really significant areas like, okay, I hear you. <clears throat> My, most, most Christians today, God looked, looked into the future. What do you, how do you answer that? Bobblehead <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Stop doing that, man. <laughs> so Spurgeon Spurgeon answered the corridor of time argument, too. And you want to know how he answered it? He said something to the effect. Of, this isn't an exact quote. This is my paraphrase. He said something to the effect of. And this was during a sermon. Uh, he was talking about election. And he said, uh, I would love to believe that God looked through the corridors of time and selected people based on their decision to follow christ but i don't see it in the bible and if i don't see it in the bible i can't believe it (laughs) amen right 
only one of us took that position. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta narrate that like visually, or maybe you should take a little clip of that out of the of the of the actual camera, so, so people can see, see the video. <laughs> yeah, throw, throw that one thirty second clip in there, just just so they don't think we're going absolutely crazy for no reason. Oh man, uh, they think we're crazy anyway. Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about this word unconditional. Um, what makes mm. What makes election unconditional rather than conditional? Uh, like what? Why? Why? Why does it have to be unconditional? We know God elects His people. We know God chooses His people. What makes it unconditional rather than conditional? When you were talking about in the beginning of, the, of our conversation about these altar calls, I I was kind of laughing inside because um, if you didn't catch it, I I, I was driving home. Uh, after my sermon last week and realized I gave an altar call, right? <laughs> <laughs> what was it? You know, here's, here's my opportunity to, to call people forward and, and yeah. to repent and, and to re- renew their life. And I said, well, what do you have to do? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. Yes. Just sit there, you know. <laughs> How many, how many how many preachers are just like like rolling over like what did you do man? <laughs> but yeah. that's, that's the whole point, right? <clears throat> Unconditional election is is uh you don't you don't meet the criteria. If if it's conditional, you have to do something to be elect, and and that's the whole point. Is is Jesus didn't didn't talk about what what we need to do. Jesus talked about believing, yeah. and and the way he talked about believing was um, he would preach and said if, if you're hearing me. Um, and you know me, it, it's because you belong to me. Mm. And that's how he spoke. That's how the apostles spoke. Yeah. Um, there, there's obviously, and, and this has been discussed too, it, it's, there is a, a real um, response that is needed, uh, a life lived without works, as you know, we talk about the idea of faith and works. Like There are practical implications of, of believing hands down but it is not a causation um for your salvation it is it is a a a fruit as a response and that's a really important area to distinguish when we talk about election is if you are chosen if you belong to him you will you will love and serve him you know because that's that's what you do that's another one of those things that people bring up you mean to tell me that if somebody wants to follow christ but they're not elect then Christ is not going to let them follow him because they weren't chosen before the foundation of the world. It's like, that is such a bizarre question. Not even possible. Um, because by nature, we are opposed to God. This is where, this is where like, unconditional election is the natural fruit of total depravity. Like, if we accept total depravity, we have to accept unconditional election as we, you know, accept total depravity if we believe in salvation at all. <laughs> you know? Right. If people are totally depraved, our natures are exactly opposed to the will and nature of God. We do not seek after God. We fall short of his glory. Um, no one seeks after God. No one is good. Uh, if anyone is to be saved, it's going to be despite him or herself, not because of something within him or her. You know, that's 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 it once once you accept total depravity like no people are not basically good then you have to accept unconditional election because if election were conditional nobody could ever get salvation and added to this like if you think that you must do something in order to be chosen by god 
why do we even need Jesus and his sacrifice at that point? You don't, mm. because you can do it. Um, so there's no sense in worshiping Jesus at that point and celebrating what Jesus did and accomplished and no, no reason to place our faith in Jesus because it's, it's conditional upon us and something that we do. So let, let, let's just do the right stuff and get to heaven rather than, you know, trying to follow this Messiah, Jesus. Um, right. So yeah. Yeah. I heard, I heard this, uh, this great example. It was actually used against the Calvinist in his debate. Uh, I watched a few years ago, and it just stuck in my head. Yeah. And and people try to make God sound like this just cruel bully, you know. And and the analogy that he gave um, was something along the idea of, you know, so God's just dangling this rope above your head and above all people's <laughs> no. heads, and, and people are just looking up and trying to jump up and grab it, but they just can't. And and this is the idea, you know, the, the, where they they come up with these thoughts about who God is. And then the, I loved it because the, the response was, no, 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 no. You See, this is why you have a wrong understanding of, of, of God's sovereignty and our depravity and God's election. What, what's happening, if you want to use that metaphor, is the rope is dangling down and, and dro- you know, roped all over you. And, mm-hmm. and it's you know being moved around and, and we're just not grabbing it <laughs> because yeah. we're dead. Yeah. You know, it's it. The rope's all over us and, and all over all yeah. the people. And it's, it's, it's within it's reach. We don't reach for it. That's it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's, exactly. Yeah, that's Matthew uh, twenty-two fourteen. Uh, many are called, invited, few are chosen, um, and Ooh. only those who are chosen actually reach out to grab this lifeline. Um, those who are invited, uh, you know the the parable Jesus told about the wedding feast. Hey, take these invitations to all these people, and almost everybody said, "Nah, I got stuff to do." I have stuff to do. I, I need to go to work. I, I, I have to do school. I have to do all of this stuff. And they never reach for Christ. Never, yep. plug, never plug into the local church. Um, that's, that's by nature what we choose to do. We don't choose God. <laughs> um, he's the one who has to choose us. That's, that's what unconditional election. So it follows from total depravity. Deuteronomy chapter 7 verses 6 and 7 concerning God's election of Israel. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the peoples, for you were fewest of all peoples. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers, The Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. God's election is never dependent on his people. Israel didn't earn God's election because they were cool, because they were powerful. No, they were the fewest of all peoples. Despite that, God chose them and basically now rules the world through Israel. Like, that's what happened. (laughs) How does the fewest of all peoples accomplish that? Well, they didn't. (laughs) Only God, yeah. you know. Yeah, he uses that as, I mean, how do you how do you use that as an example to show? Like he he says, this is why I chose you, just mm-hmm. essentially to prove a point. <laughs> yeah, and that's we it. just like let that go right over our head. Like, oh yeah, like, <laughs> oh like like that has no bearing on us. What is what kind of people is the church made up of today? It's not right. not super powerful people. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's poor people. It's it's sick people. Um, yeah. It's pe- people who are awkward and kind of awkward in society, uh, people who don't really fit in, you know, this is, 
This is a kingdom built on the backs of of weak people, and somehow we're able to bear the load. Uh, no, we're not. This kingdom is expanding only because Christ is working. People don't have a reason to listen to Andrew Cannon. I was a snob, man. <laughs> People shouldn't listen to me. Uh, but Christ is doing his work. It's, it's, it's amazing. Amazing. Yeah, it's so critical, too, for, for us to to acknowledge the, the our, our depravity in this and to see, like, why, like, not only from a theological, but pretty sure the practical uh, uh, perspective that we need to be uh, out of the picture when it comes to God's sovereignty and choosing. Because if we if we wiggle our way in, it's just even from a very practical level, it's just us trying to steal glory from God. And and again, like the the, the idea of not needing to meet a condition uh, also comes down to this uh, this idea of works versus faith. Uh, and I've seen what it comes down to is the the act of belief. Mm. You know, the, the, the belief is where it seems everything hinges, where the people who who try to argue against God's sovereignty and against unconditional election, they 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 try to say this belief is a requirement of us, which it is. Um, but again, like they mm. they don't acknowledge and can't acknowledge that that belief doesn't come from us. And, right. and that's where that that is super obvious as well, because Paul addresses it just like we're talking about Israel being chosen because of their insignificance mm-hmm. to, to show God's power and glory. Um, belief is a requisite to be saved and it doesn't come from us. And that's according to Paul, not Andrew or Ken. You know, this is this is this is clear. It, yeah, belief comes from God. The Bible. Yeah. Um, part of God's elective purpose in, in redeeming people. And again, like if you if you acknowledge that, which you must, if you believe God's <laughs> word, there's really hey, must. There's, there's you no keep using that word, must. <laughs> <What'd> you, <say? laughs> you keep using that word, must. I don't, I, don't, I don't think it means what you think it means. <laughs> Just joking. <laughs> okay. All right, yeah, all right. Uh, Romans, threw me off, man. <laughs> yeah, I, I threw me off, so. Right. <laughs> Romans 8, 28 through 30. This is like the go-to, right? I'm talking about predestination. Um, Romans 8, 28 through 30. And we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Now, foreknowledge here, it's not like, and this is where people go down the corridor of time, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, he foreknew, he knew that you were going to make a decision for him, and that's what he based his predestination on. No, this is a statement of relationship. He foreknew you. Uh, he, like, like, yeah. I, like I know Ken. Uh, I yeah. know Ken, but I didn't foreknow Ken. I didn't know him before I met him. Uh, God <laughs> knew us relationally before we were born, foreknew. Like, this is a relational statement. Those whom mm-hmm. he foreknew, he also <clears throat> predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So God foreknows us relationally, and it's based on his foreknowledge, relational foreknowledge, that he predestines us to be conformed to the image of his son, so that... He would be the firstborn Christ, the firstborn among many brethren. And these 
whom he predestined, he also called, sent the invitation out, called and chose them, right? And Mm -hmm. those whom he called, those who receive the invitation and are chosen, those who hear and understand the gospel and respond to the gospel, he also justified this is all this all happened simultaneously from before the foundation of the world according to paul's language in ephesians and these whom he justified he also glorified the work is already done from the from god's foreknowledge from his foreknowledge of us all that work is already done now you can't look at that and say oh well it must be conditional no it's if it all happens based on God's foreknowledge rather than our actions, then it doesn't depend on anything of us. Um, this is a humbling doctrine. Yeah, and, and this is one of the, the the areas where it's so important not to just assume what a word means, because, uh, and, and this this isn't an area either where we're like, well, here's what I think it is, and here's what I think it is. Like we could do a, a word study on this and re- and understand quickly anyone. That this knowing, um, we wouldn't talk like that today. Uh, I don't remember the example, but it talks about the Bible about men knowing their wife. Um, that that's the, that's the idea uh, that this word is presenting here. When, when a foreknowledge, like you're saying, a relationship. This is the the revealed mystery of, of the the reality of Christ in the church. You know, mm-hmm. this is that the relationship is intimate, and and I know like. It, it could quickly get a little awkward when talking about it, but we are the bride of Christ, you know, and when, when men are talking about knowing their wives, this is a super intimate word. Mm-hmm. It's not an, an understanding of who they are. Um, this right. is a for knowledge <laughs> is like a for love. It's a for relationship. Mm-hmm. It's, it's you were my bride before I created the world. Like you were my love That's and it, you man. were my chosen that's that's not the knowledge that too many people jump to in this word. And again, all you have to do is do a word study, uh, and and specifically the old covenant. You could see um, this word is used frequently and yeah. quickly understand what it is. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And it's it, if you just take this passage by itself, it's enough to debunk any talk about conditional election whatsoever. But then mm-hmm. it never fails. People always respond by going, but. What about John three sixteen, bro? Oh, what yeah. about John three sixteen? For God what? so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever <laughs> believes in him will have eternal What about the whosoever in oh, John three sixteen? What what do we do with that one, man? That's a... So, so the the lovely thing about this, I, I don't know, oh man, like this, you're, you're you're just like you said, everyone brings this up when when talking to somebody who believes in God's sovereignty in all things, including salvation. Mm-hmm. Whosoever, I mean, it's it is saying everyone. I I, I can I, I tell you, I affirm that. Mm-hmm. I believe it. Yep. Everyone who believes is going to be saved. That's it. Amen. We Amen. love John. 3, Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> and and the, the thing that people too quickly skim over again when when carefully reading god's word is there's nothing in john three sixteen or this chapter or the bible that uh talks about man's ability to choose in a way that he can choose the the, the point is john three sixteen doesn't say anyone's able to believe 
It says everyone who does believe will be saved. And we affirm that and love and just, it. And just a few verses before John 3.16, there you have Jesus saying, Hey, Nicodemus, before you can even see the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again by mm. the Spirit. And the Spirit does what the Spirit wills. Like, that's right before John 3.16. Huh. We just skip over stuff we don't like so we can say whosoever. The whosoever there, yes. But yep. no one has the ability to believe unless first regenerated by the Spirit. That's the second birth. Um, that's like John 3.16. Yeah, go ahead and bring that up. That's That works in our favor, um, the, in favor of this theological viewpoint, in favor of unconditional election, not against it. And, right. Um, and that's the importance of like reading verses of the Bible in context and people just skip over context they're, they're not interested in knowing the Bible they're interested in, in how the Bible confirms what they already believe which is dangerous um, well it's so even dangerous. crazy too that people use a passage in John I mean good grief if you read the book of John I mean that is like <laughs> the, the, the book that is so rich with God's sovereignty and election and his purposes and choosing all of that. Like it's, I quoted one of it just a few minutes ago. Like, like I go to John to, to, to talk about God's sovereignty. And again, you can't just pick out that little spot and say, well, right. whoever believes. Yeah. Whosoever believes. That's now let's it. talk about who That's can it. believe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's interesting. Um, Spurgeon was more of a Calvinist than Calvin. Oh, I've got to hold this up again. <laughs> there it is. Spurgeon was more of a Calvinist than Calvin. John was more of a Calvinist than Spurgeon. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. No kidding. And Calvin no didn't kidding. even. And Calvin hadn't even lived by then. So, <laughs> yep. yep. Just um, rich, rich throughout the book, specifically John. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. And and even even, and this is a, a little nudge at the the red letter people. You know, again, not. I I don't. I won't get into that. So, so the red letter people, Jesus' Jesus's words are rich in the book of John, and Jesus' words are rich in election mm. and his choosing, and, and no one able to believe. Like, just fine. You read the red letters, and you'll still have to come to – oh, I'm sorry. I'm not allowed to use that word. You must believe. Must. <laughs> you must. <laughs> you read the red letters of the book of John, and, and you will be a, a Calvinist if you believe what, what John – Right. If you just believe what Jesus said, that's that's it. That's Reformed theology. Yep. yep. Uh, two, so there are two theological branches. There's Arminianism and Calvinism. And people always fall into one of these two categories, right? You can't be in, you know, just not in either of these categories. Our Arminianism is uh, counter- Reformation, so it's basically the same as Catholicism is Counter Reformation. Um, it's a, a majority of evangelicalism, uh, even in our own day, at least in the United States of America, it would fall under the category Arminianism. And then there's Calvinism, which is it was the Reformation. It was the the Counter Counter Reformation because you know Jacobus Arminianus developed the the five points of <laughs> Arminianism, the five Arminian mm-hmm. points before the five points of Calvinism existed. And he did it in response to the Reformation, which is why it's uh, Counter-Reformation. And then Calvin, uh, well, and it wasn't just Calvin. It was it was a synod of people getting together and developing the five points of Calvinism in response to Arminianist doctrine uh, to basically condemn Jacobus Arminianus as, uh, or uh, let's see if I can pronounce it correctly, Jacobus, is that, is that the correct pronunciation? <laughs> <There you go. laughs> something like that. Yeah. 
uh, in order to condemn his theology as heretical, a theology that's mostly accepted today, even though the synod of Reformed churches, like the Protestant churches of the time, even though they dealt with this heresy in, in the 1500s, late 1500s, early 1600s, they were dealing with this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so Calvinism is counter-counter-reformation. Um, and in our day, um, and it started with uh, the generation before me, um, we're experiencing a Reformation resurgence, and they've worked really hard to, to bring this Reformation resurgence. And so some of the big names in this Reformation resurgence, of course, are uh, John MacArthur and R.C. R.C. Sproul, um, guys guys of that caliber um, in that in that area of expertise. And so we're, we're experiencing this Reformation resurgence today um, in theological study, and even in the even in the Southern Baptist Convention, which is which is really nice, just understand that there are these two theological branches within the church and they are at war because one of them denies the deity and sovereignty of Christ, that's Arminianism, um, denies the work of salvation in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, and one, the Calvinistic branch, uh, affirms the sovereignty of Jesus Christ, the lordship of Jesus Christ, uh, Jesus Christ, the effectiveness of his death, burial, and resurrection. It recognizes that people are uh, are lost in their sin and cannot seek after God. So one of those branches is is sound doctrine, and one of those branches is about as heretical as somebody can get within Christendom. Yeah, and I, I've I've talked to a lot of people um, <clears throat> who 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 take this. Um, all all is able all men are able approach and they don't like being lumped into the idea of of like what you're saying it's true generally speaking um and and i think too many people don't acknowledge that as i'm not arminian um well yeah you might not subscribe to all the beliefs that they had but but fundamentally like this is this new argument that we're having so yes you want to that's what we're talking about is just the most basic stuff stuff. yeah yeah and that's the that's the important thing is, is it is it's still those two big uh, groups and, and divisions. And it's sad too that, um, like, you're talking denominations and stuff, having such rich roots and good theology, mm-hmm. and then and then falling away from this. It's it's, it's so heartbreaking. Yes, it is. Uh, and we talked about the the SBC last week, and, and it's the same thing. It's like this 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 organization, this group of people that that herald the 1689 confessions, like. Uh, like to, to to now today it's like take this out take that out oh we don't agree with this anymore you know we're gonna uh, why <laughs> let's yeah. just get back to to, to get back to the bible <laughs> yeah. yeah it's like it's at, a, at back to the sources idea, right? yeah <laughs> um but and i don't know again this this is this is my experience this is my experience um when i when I have this conversation with people, the the it gets usually emotional for the the other party, you know, yeah. uh, because they get upset about it. Are you but calling? It, my, are you saying my baby's going to hell? <laughs> yeah, I've heard that one before, right? Right, <laughs> but it, it comes down to like um, just a lack of time to study mm-hmm. the matter uh, with an open mind and open heart. Like, yeah. like you say, you love the Lord. Um, don't go to Him with this preconception of who He is, like go on your knees and say, Lord, show me who you are. And that's what I'm going to acknowledge. And that's, that's the problem that I see with too many people is they, 
they, they fight the idea before studying the idea um, yeah. and having a, a good understanding of, of who the God is that they, they say they serve. And, mm-hmm. and this is the, the, the big issue, right? When we're talking about Arminianism and Calvinism, Arminianism is heresy and its end is your condemnation and destruction. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the counterpart of that is, is a little more risky today. Uh, how, is it, how is it said by um, some people I've heard said, like the, the Arminianism equivalent today, they're, they're, they're uh, uh, faithfully inconsistent. I think it's something along those lines where um, there are some people who will affirm their free will and ability and all men's ability to, mm-hmm. to be saved, um, but they're inconsistent in that doctrine enough to where um, they they are brothers. There are many brothers in the church today mother, uh, that that believe in free will that aren't necessarily going to hell because right. of their inconsistent um, yeah. doctrinal position on yeah. that. Well, and when it comes to free will, <clears throat> we also understand that people are working with about three different definitions of free will rather than right. just one. And theologically, when we refer to free will, I've started calling it libertarian free will, right? Mm. Just to clarify what I'm talking about, libertarian free will is this idea that you have the ability by your nature to seek after God and to know him by your own efforts. Uh, And that would be heresy, right? But to say something like, I have the the perfect ability to make decisions and follow through with that. Oh, yes, you do. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But you're always going to do that in accordance with your nature. There's the rub. Yep. Yeah. Your, your nature is what's enslaved your nature is what's bound and, and yeah it doesn't have anything to do with being able to pick up a pen off of your desk yeah um, oh look yeah. I, I chose to pick this pen up and I did it free will <laughs> I chose yeah. to do this yeah. <laughs> yeah. I chose to shake this bobblehead in front of the camera free will <laughs> you, you need a bobblehead Jesus man like every time some of these come up, you could just. Uh, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that uh, being in a reformed church, I can't have any icons in my office. <laughs> just, just... <laughs> Gonna have to kick you out, brother. Uh, oh, different conversation for a different day. <laughs> All right, uh, let's uh, let's bring this down to the down to the black top here um, from theology. Just a just a practical laying out like unconditional election. What does it? I mean, what does it mean? Here as we live life here on the blacktop, that's the whole point of us doing this, so people know. Yeah, theology matters. You know, um, what what are the implications here? How does that apply to the, the way we live, the way we conduct ourselves, and the way we re- relate to others? Well, it's it's like what we we started this series on. It's uh, on the on the solas, and that last one is really what everything is about and the implications of that. It's soli deo gloria. Mm. Uh, implications of unconditional election is glory to God alone. And man, if, if you can't affirm that, that you, you gotta, you gotta recess your life. Yeah. Um, because that, that's the rich foundation that we, we started talking about this, these doctrines of grace. And if you, you believe that God has shown you such great mercy that apart from who you are, or in spite of specifically who you are, um, he saved you, a wretch, someone who, who didn't earn, deserve, or um, merit God's uh, saving grace, that you carry that out into your relationships. Mm-hmm. And you are going to be a humble, loving person. That broken still, absolutely. 
but the, you, you, you can't, you can't hold unforgiveness. Um, you're not going to be able to, to look at your relationships in a way that says, um, I'm better than you, mm-hmm. uh, you know, or, or you shouldn't be like this uh, because you acknowledge uh, what we are. I acknowledge what I am before God. And yeah. that's just a deprived wretch. Mm-hmm. And he saved me. And I, I carry that out into everyone else around me. That I, I love the others now in this unconditional way. Like I'm not going yeah. to, I'm not going to have, wait until you do something, which is like a very you know <laughs> cultural thing that we deal with, right? It's like you you first do this for me, um, and then I will respond in kind. Um, that's not that's not even Jesus' basic approach to doing others what you want them to do to you. You know, like yeah. love others well, love them unconditionally. This will carry out very weightily in your marriage lives. Um, if, if you love your spouses, um, despite what they do, this is, oh, what was it? I wish I remembered his name. I, I, I did this, this course that was called Love and Respect by, I think it was something like Dr. Elgrich or something like that. Mm-hmm. If you look up that, really good course. But the idea essentially behind it is that, that we too often wait for our spouses to do something for us mm-hmm. and then and then we're both essentially waiting and we're at we're at crossroads and, and nobody's doing anything essentially we got to be the ones the doers the lovers that that put forward our our love unconditionally as mm-hmm. as god did to us yeah. and then that fills each other's tanks so to speak yeah yeah for sure it's a uh, it's so interesting like talking about how this carries out in in our in our lives um, mm. without an understanding of unconditional election, we just are not equipped to, to love others. Uh, even in America, you know, we have the golden rule, right? It's our, our American rephrasing of, <laughs> of the second greatest commandment, uh, love your neighbor as yourself. So treat others mm-hmm. the way, treat others the way you want to be treated. And that's how the golden rule goes. And we'll, you know, we indoctrinate our children, the golden rule, treat others the way you want to be treated. And yeah. as adults, we turn that around and um, in spite or to spite others, rather, uh, we say, should have listened to the golden rule, treat others yeah. the way you want to be treated. And we use that as an excuse to mistreat those who mistreat us. We just turn it around like that's what we do by nature. <laughs> we, have, right. we have no right. understanding of total depravity or unconditional election. Some of the implications I have here. Um, and I, I just kind of put it at intention, right? Uh, these are the implications of conditional election. Like if conditional election were in fact real, these would be the implications. But if unconditional election is the truth, and I believe it's unconditional election, right? Then these are the implications. If election is conditional, then people can lose their salvation. Mm-hmm. That's the big one, right? People can lose their salvation if election is conditional. And... Arminius taught as much. That was one of his five points. Like, no, um, you can lose your salvation. Uh, Whereas unconditional election means there's security in salvation. If God's election depends only on his foreknowledge and predestination, right, then nothing can pluck you from the hand of God. So all of a sudden, this doctrine that everybody has a problem with, it's comforting. It's encouraging. (laughs) There's, There's security in salvation. Um, conditional election, if election were conditional, it would lead to self-betterment and condemnation of those who don't perfectly keep the law. And this is where you have 
churches and we have one in our own community so i hope people are listening to this Mm -hmm. you have churches who from the pulpit they constantly condemn others and talk badly about others and tell people that they're going to hell because they keep sinning and even in like counseling sessions their goal is to get people to stop sinning rather than and then if people don't stop sinning and according to their own definitions of sin not even according to biblical definitions like if people don't if you don't stop doing that you're going to hell Uh, and that's the message like you're not saved if you if you don't stop doing whatever it is you're doing by our definition that's what that's what believing conditional election leads to that sort of teaching unconditional election leads to me being able to forgive myself it leads to self-grace, right? Like, oh, I messed up. Lord, forgive me. I know our relationship doesn't depend on that. What? That's amazing. Like, how how free am I? That Like, that's amazing. And then also grace-based relationships with others. Like, oh, I understand you sinned and I understand you messed up, but, but that's not the measure by which I judge you anymore. I measure you by Christ and you're clothed in his righteousness. So... Yeah, mm-hmm. my relationship with you is now unconditional, right? It's, it's unconditional grace-based relationships, which just leads to more fulfilling relationships. Um, viewing election as conditional leads to constant moral failure. I'm always concerned about the bad things I'm doing. How did I mess up today? What's going on today? And I'm always concerned. I'm a, I obsess over those things because I... I want to be perfect. I want to make it to heaven, you know? So, so right. under a conditional election paradigm, it's like I'm always worried about, oh, I, oh, uh, I, I, I can't get over this sin. I must be going to hell. I, I feel like now I have to question my salvation because I can't live like a Christian. <laughs> and that's right. what it leads to. And our whole generation, we, it's like, oh, we question our salvation because some days I just don't feel like a very good Christian. <laughs> and... And I'm sure. and I'm the same, but unconditional election. It's liberty instead of that r- religious burden. It's it's liberty because we measure ourselves by, by Christ's righteousness rather than our own. Like this is a freeing way to live. Um, conditional election. Um, we are faithless because people fail us. People fail us according to you know our expectations. We either leave them or are overly critical of them. Um, This is why so many people leave their local churches, right? Because they have expectations that are not met. So they leave. There's no devotion, no loyalty, no growing in in righteousness in the faith, no maturing. Because election is conditional or seen as conditional, then I'm applying this to the way and what I expect of others, even if my expectations are really bad expectations. That's no way to live in church community. But unconditional election, if we accept unconditional election, leads to faithfulness no matter what others do and no matter what expectations we have that others don't keep because it's not about our expectations or preferences. Oh, Christ has elected you unconditionally, so you are my brother or sister in Christ, and I honor Christ's work. So I devote myself to you. I'm, ne- I'm not forsaking you. I will never leave you because Christ has chosen us together, part of his kingdom. Um, conditional election leads to non-forgiveness because we ha- people have to be perfect. They have to perform. 
unconditional election is unconditional forgiveness from God and from us. And uh, as I already mentioned, conditional election leads to condemnation from the pulpit. Um, just generally not good. Hellfire and brimstone messages are not very oh, biblical. Yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, and then the unconditional election leads to encouragement. We still recognize sin for what it is from the pulpit. But we treat sin differently. We speak of sin with reference to forgiveness and salvation, whereas the person who believes in conditional election um, speaks of sin more with reference to hellfire, brimstone, and condemnation. So we still recognize sin. We just know Christ has atoned for the sin of his people. So we mention sin. We encourage the saints, stimulate one another onto greater love and good deeds, uh, uh, sanctification. And we can do that in a way that is gracious and encouraging rather than condemning, which is just beautiful. It changes the whole way you do church and live life. Um, it really does. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you, you're mentioning the uh, the sitting less thing. And man, just even with, with people that I've encountered in my life and, and that real struggle, like that idea of, of, of self-condemnation because yeah. of, of them not being um, not being perfect. Mm-hmm. essentially is what it is but uh, that that perfection comes at death but but essentially the the area i think too many people stumble up at is is um focusing again again on your own works and your deeds yeah. rather than on christ which is what what like builds you up what gives you the the purpose and and pursuit of your day you know it's like mm. don't focus on yourself focus on christ and that's the whole point like of, of what our what our lives are to be lived at we want to we want to emulate christ we want to be like christ we want to pursue christ mm-hmm. and that's where when we we see this uh this joy in the specifically like the, the apostles in the new testament it's it's a focus on christ and if if we get our eyes off of christ which we're supposed to be fixed on according to the scripture mm-hmm. that's when we start falling and stumbling and getting confused and and you know that our, our lives start um, kind of being saturated with uh, more d- depression and doubt mm-hmm. uh, and I see this so much and it's so sad like it's a real burden for me because I see I see uh, what what is fighting for people's joy and 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 that's that's something that uh, it shouldn't be and and specifically in the church today yeah. that we need to be preaching um, the pursuit of Christ mm-hmm. and not focusing on our sins. We deal with sin according to Scripture when it is uh, mm-hmm. um, un, uh, un, un, uh, unrepentant sin, yeah. and that's that's a different story. But, mm-hmm. but when we deal with sin, it's, it's it's the focus is to pursue Christ. Yeah, the yeah. focus is building up, not tearing down. Yep. Yeah. All right, we are. Out of time. We may have gone over an hour today. So <laughs> thank you guys. <laughs> thank, thank you guys for uh, for joining us. This has been the Blacktop Pulpit by the Church at Sunsites. Please go check out the Church at Sunsites dot com. Uh, check out all the resources that we provide for your spiritual growth. Uh, check out the sermons there. Uh, the discipleship helps. Uh, and uh, pray over the ministry that we are doing and please consider hitting that donate button at thechurchatsunsites.com so we can continue doing uh, the good ministry that we are doing in our community sharing the 
the correct gospel of Jesus Christ here. Uh, thank you again. We will catch you next time.